2: Well, this football season is rolling right along. Actually, it's not, but we're doing a preview of this coming year. And up next is the Northwestern Wildcats and the Fighting Pat Fitzgeralds. And to give us a breakdown of that, I'm going to get a chance to talk to their play-by-play voice, Dave Ennett. Stay tuned for all that great information here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. And who knows who they end up taking? Most people think it's going to be Cade McNamara, which would be great. Uh, so that would be awesome. Uh, all right, we two we, sports we tried to star get on on basketball
3: for for ten seconds. Clearly, we made a massive mistake.
2: Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends, and we're going to be joined in just a little bit by Dave Ennett, who is the play-by-play voice of the Northwestern Wildcats. But if you missed anything on the podcast feed this week, MGO Blue Podcast, we had Wednesday, Defend the Block, that uh, is hosted by my partner here, uh, Brian Bush. It is the soon-to-be sophomore guard Zeb Jackson, as well as the new men's basketball athletic trainer Chris Williams, Make sure you go back, take a listen. It's a great listen. And I also want to tell you that soon you're going to be able to listen to this podcast in a different way because the Michigan Athletics mobile app is coming this summer. The Michigan Athletics app will provide the easiest and most convenient way for fans to access their mobile tickets. The app will also feature quick access to event schedules, customizable push notifications, live and archive video and audio, and of course, this right here, M.Go Blue podcast. The free app will be available for download on the App Store or Google Play. So get ready to have Michigan Athletics at your fingertips with the new Michigan Athletics mobile app coming soon. Mr. Bush, how are you today?
3: I'm great, John. Speaking of basketball, some big local news. The Pistons. Well, what win- happened? The Pistons winning the draft lottery. Man. Good for Detroit, good for Pistons fans. I mean, it, it had been a while, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people were right in saying they were tanking the right way. There was a lot of good young talent uh, there. Get ready for a lot more Pistons basketball on national TV with this.
2: Yes, you know, and, and who knows who they end up taking. Most people think it's going to be Cade McNamara, which would be great, Uh, so. That would be awesome. Uh, all right, we two sports we to star
3: on, on on basketball for for ten seconds. Clearly, we made a massive mistake, but I uh, that is so perfect, John.
2: Yes, it's it. It won't be the last time I make that mistake. Cade Cunningham is the uh, the the the. The basketball player, Cade McNamara, while he may be uh, or thinks that he's a two-sport star, he's focused solely on being quarterback at Michigan. So there's a lot of great things to be excited about. And, you know, I was going through this uh, just the other day, you know, with with the Detroit Lions. You've got Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, and Penny Sewell was the pick. um, And it felt like that really fell into their lap. This with the Pistons and Troy Weaver, what he's building there with a lot of young talent. You mentioned, you know, um, taking in the right way. All of those young players got a lot of time. They were exciting to watch, even though they were they were playing losing basketball. But now the you you win the lottery and you get a chance at that number one overall pick. The Red Wings with Steve Eiserman, still a lot to work to be done, but there's a lot of hope there. Uh, and then obviously with the Tigers, you got a, a really good young pitching staff, and you're starting to see Spencer. Torkelson, you know, working his way through the minors, some other guys as well. So it really feels like maybe Detroit sports, Michigan sports has all turned in the corner.
3: It's good to see. It was really exciting. And also, For Michigan fans trying to see maybe where Franz Wagner could go in that 8 to 12 range was also interesting to see so that's the end of the basketball talk again that was Cade McNamara Cade Cunningham that was so perfect and wonderful but let's get into our seven from 77 and John just kind of an overview you know it's been a few weeks since we've talked about the upcoming season this is a lighter time in the schedule it's a bit quieter so What is going on for players and coaches around this time? And when you were playing college or pros, what were you focused on, locked in on here as as we now have about a month until training camp, until fall camp?
2: Well, you're, you're really locked in on watching film, which you've been able to do from last year. Any reps that you have on film, it could be a game reps, and it could be from two years ago. It could be spring football, anything that you have on film that you can dissect and say, you know what, I did this well, I want to make sure I enhance this. I didn't do this as well. And I I need to correct this footwork. I need to correct this hand placement, head placement, all of those different things. And then obviously diving into the playbook. There's a new playbook on defense. A lot to learn there, making sure that you're talking to your teammates and having those conversations of what are you looking for on this call? What are we doing here? What type of personnel group does this defense match up against and offensively? It's always going to be the same thing. It's about communication. Those five guys up front got to be on the same page. Quarterback has to understand tight ends, running backs, receivers. Everybody has to be on the same page. So it's making sure that you take all the appropriate time because it's available right now and work through all those things so that when fall camp starts, you can hit the ground running and your sole focus is going to be on Western Michigan, and then it'll be followed by obviously Washington and you know NIU all the way through the schedule, and, uh, and obviously today we're talking about Northwestern, but this brings us to about halfway point of this football schedule.
3: Number two on our seven from 77, college football does tend to still find its way into the news cycle this time of year, even though it is a quiet time. And there was some big news coming out early this week. The Supreme Court ruling that the NCAA violated federal antitrust laws by preventing athletes from receiving education-related items and opportunities from their universities, you know, postgraduate scholarships, uh, computers, paid internships, etc. And it was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court, which, uh, let's face it, that's not super common. Just your reaction overall to that news that came out earlier this week.
2: Well, I, I think it's it's a step in the right direction. I think it's a great, um, will be a great benefit to the student-athlete moving forward. Just because they can offer those doesn't mean that they will. Um, you know, we are coming out of a pandemic. Most athletic departments are running a huge deficit. But on the flip side, you have these student-athletes that continue to, you know, go out there and provide – us as fans with entertainment they provide you know advertising dollars for the NCAA for the institution and so i think there's there's going to be a a happy medium of okay we can offer these things here's what we can do right now and here's how we're going to move forward any opportunity that you have to give the student athlete an advantage on the student side of things, whether it is those paid internships or it's computers or whatever it might be. I know that Michigan will will do all that they possibly can to make that a possibility. And I just, this is the step in the right direction for the with NIL, which I know coming next week is going to go live in about six or seven states. So it'll be interesting to see how this all rolls out in conjunction with NIL.
3: Number three, you know how this goes, John. We see something happen, and and you take it to the furthest possible degree when we discuss and we talk about this. A lot of people looked at the Supreme Court decision and ruling as, okay, this is the start of pay the players, pay the players. Do you see that connection? And and again, like – Supreme court decisions do help set trends and tendencies. They also can be, you know, there's more appeals. There's more things that can be layered off. This is not a, a, a be all end all uh, lawyers, find ways to talk about things as much as possible. So I, I'm curious what you think, if anything, this could do to that conversation of, Oh, well, why aren't the the players paid?
2: So I do think that you can connect those dots and that will eventually happen. The issue is, what is the value of a scholarship? What is the value of room and board? You know, and and you take a look and you say, okay, well, the comparison is, you know, a regular student on campus, they've probably going to have a full-time or part-time job while they're a student. Well, as a student athlete, your job is being an athlete. So you have an opportunity to pay for your education by performing on the field, on the practice field. But let's be honest, you know, the dollars that come in for being a student athlete, it's it doesn't feel like it's an equitable trade. What I'm doing on the field and what the NCAA is receiving in return doesn't feel like it's equitable and that the student athlete is somehow left out. There's going to have to be a happy medium in regards to what can universities afford, what can the NCAA afford. And it's not just football and basketball. There are other sports that are on campus, and we try and highlight those as much as possible, and you have to take into account all of those student-athletes as well.
3: Switching gears on our seven from 77, number four, since we last did a seven from 77, plenty of news surrounding the college football playoff and its potential expansion to 12 teams. It seems like maybe as early as September, this could be pretty much locked in, not for the upcoming season. Uh, They've been very clear that they feel that uh, it cannot be implemented at earliest until 2023, potentially not until 2026, but six highest ranked conference champions, six at large teams, top four conference champions get a bye. Your thoughts on what has been proposed and what's been discussed since. The fact that Notre Dame can't get a buy. The fact that the Pac-12 wants the the Power Five to get an automatic bid to kind of get rid of that sixth highest rank. There's been some other discussions, but what stood out to you?
2: Well, I think it's this is kind of the, the happy medium between You don't want to give away automatic bids, but you also want to have a a more inclusive college football playoff. And by inclusive, I mean not everybody needs a seat at the table, but you want to make sure that you don't exclude an entire portion of the country. The Pac-12 has been left out of the college football playoffs now for three years. And when you do that, it affects recruiting. It it, it affects all the, the, the advertising dollars. It affects so much and you'd want to make sure that there is a level playing field or at least as level as you could possibly create it without throwing off the you know the competitive advantage that some schools have earned right and and so that's where you you lose the automatic bids but you have the six highest rated teams you've got some at large bids i do think that all power 5 conferences will have a seat at that table it would be highly unlikely that that one school from every conference wouldn't eventually get in or wouldn't be on an, on a yearly basis but i like it that it's more merit based
3: and i think the point of divisions possibly dying in all of this is pretty fair and pretty noteworthy because if you have a a 10 team big 12 a 14 team big 10 a 14 team sec if you put top two in your championship game as opposed to a division versus a division winner, the odds of that team that wins that game falling behind multiple group of five, it have to be a special couple of group of fives, and then they might get at larges anyways. So I think that's the power five leagues' response is we'll just get rid of divisions, and that should solve it.
2: It should, and but again, you know this is. This is a process. We've gone from, you know, voting on national champions, which I'm very aware of, to to the BCS, to now we've, we're at a position where we've had four-team playoff for a while. I, we're going to continue to, I, I don't think there's any question we're going to expand at some point, and you're going to have to tweak things as we go, and that's part of trying to find the true national champion, trying to find the best system possible uh, and all of the unintended consequences, some of them will be negative, but I think there's a lot of positives that go with it as well.
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot more positives than negatives. Number five on our seven from 77, I think one of the key discussion points that has come from this that we haven't discussed, what do you do with the quarterfinal games and how do you incorporate the Bulls? You love the pageantry of college football. You love the home sites and what they mean. I know you also care deeply about the bowl structure, especially the big ones like the Rose Bowl, the the granddaddy of them all. So when it comes to bowl game involvement, many have asked, okay, why do the five through eight seeds in this model get a home game, but the one through four don't? Do you like how it is set up at, at this point? Uh, where the the pitch is to have bowl games be the quarters and the semis, or would you like to see just bowl game involvement in the semis and and have those one through four seeds get a chance to host?
2: No, I think having the five through eight host, um, you know, hey, if the one through four they want to take on the risk of losing a game early in the playoffs, then then so be it. Um, and obviously, the business side of things, when you host that extra game, that's a huge boom for. Uh, you know, for the athletic departments that get to host those games. On the flip side, because you're one and four, a lot of people are talking about you. A lot of people want to be associated with you. You're still going to make some good money in that as well. So would you rather have the risk involved of, of playing in some of those early games or get those buys, not have to host those games and keep the bowl games involved? I like the fact that you, you know, you would involve more bowl games. You would involve... More players playing in those bowl games are going to have less opt-outs of the best teams in college football in any given year, and it gives fans in different parts of the country the opportunity. There's more. If we were just to take Michigan – there's more alumni around the country that can't always travel back to the Midwest or to Ann Arbor to see a game. But if there's a game in Texas or if there's a game in California, they can go see that. And you know what? I think that's it's, it's a good compromise in regards to, hey, giving these teams a reward for being ranked at the top, but also those five through eight, the reward of, hey, you still made the playoffs. You get this paycheck for hosting a game. And you get to host a game. You get to play at home.
3: Regardless, I, I just the fact that there will be in this model some playoff games in some of these cathedrals of college football, I, I'd love to have them all there. I'd love to have a national championship game in some of these places just because I, I think it'd be fun. I, that's not practical. It's not going to happen. I, I'm not naive. But oh, I, I think it's going to be really, really special, especially some of those SEC teams coming up north to the big oh, house, yeah. to Camp Randall. Uh, in the, the, the winter time would be pretty darn special. All right, number six on our seven from 77. You alluded to defend the block, and, and Michigan men's basketball has hired a new athletic trainer. His name is Chris Williams. Really cool conversation. He's had a, a unique journey, but something that's unique and, and that certainly is not the normal path to Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's a graduate of Ohio State. In fact, he talked about his experience Watching Michigan and Ohio State football games growing up, and John Jansen, I know you will love this clip.
1: Growing up, you know we were football fans. You know, you know we watched basketball, but we were a football family for sure. And you know, Michigan growing up used to beat our tails every single year in the nineties. And I remember like the name uh, Biakabatuka was like a curse word in the Williams household. Like you couldn't say Biakabatuka or else you get grounded. You know, for about a week.
3: It's not Jansen is a curse word, unfortunately, but the running back being the curse word, I mean, hey, he knew how to pronounce it, so I think he said it a few times as a kid.
2: Yes. Now, can he put it all together? Tamunga Biakapatuka. Uh, that's what I need to hear from, from Mr. Uh, uh, Williams. But hey, there are, this has happened before. Obviously, we've had coaches on the football side of things come from Ohio. We've got coaches. Uh, uh, Carol Hutchins is a Spartan. So we've got them all around, but they've all decided at some point to make the right decision to upgrade and come to Ann Arbor and be a part of the Michigan Wolverine family.
3: I upgraded. Yeah. (laughs) And we're happy to have you. That was one of the coolest things was when I I met Dan Deardorff. He said, oh, you're from Ohio. Yeah. There's, there's something special about an Ohio born Wolverine. and, And that, that, that meant a lot to me that, that tugged at the heartstrings. So, all right. Number seven, John, we're on the back half of the 2021 preview the bye was this past week. We push right through that. We don't do bye weeks on In the yeah. Trenches um, unless, you know, John's on vacation or something. But uh, Michigan will host Northwestern October 23rd. We're about to talk to Dave edit the Wildcats' play-by-play voice, really in-depth conversation. Uh, John, you, you've talked about your respect for this program. Uh, the respect for this Northwestern team nationally has continued to grow two of the last three years playing the Big Ten championship game. I'm curious. Do you think Northwestern has reached its potential, or, or can they keep climbing despite you know having not as much tradition as most teams, even in the West, let alone the Big Ten as a whole?
2: Uh, they certainly can keep climbing. I mean, you look and and I'll talk, get a chance to to hear and talk to Dave Ennett about it. But when I was playing, and you look back 30 years, you look back 40 years, Northwestern was the game that everybody scheduled for homecoming. And then that 95 season happened where they ended up going to the Rose Bowl. That was the outlier at that time. Now you look back at the 2019 season where they were 3 and 9, that is the outlier right now. That's what Northwestern has been able to do over the last 30 years and a large part of that has been Pat Fitzgerald as a player, now as a coach, um and and you look at his leadership and what he's been able to do. You also look and last year Northwestern had two players drafted in the first round. You look at their recruiting and they're starting they're, they're not going from, you know, all the time having two- and three-star guys that they have to develop, now you're starting to see some four-star guys get in that recruiting uh, cycle for Northwestern. So success breeds success, and if they keep having it and Pat Fitzgerald keeps leading the way he, does, he has, they're going to be a force to contend be contending with on a, on a yearly basis.
3: And two first-round picks in the NFL draft. I mean, they've they've gotten talent too. This isn't just a bunch of two and three stars highly overachieving. They they get guys as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, our bacon fact today. Before we get to Dave Bennett, uh, we'll do a little Chicago-based one. There is a bacon fest in Chicago every year, except for last year because of the pandemic. And they have a manifesto. And at the oh. very end, how they close the manifesto, it says, "quote." We are committed to creating shared bacon experiences that strengthen the bonds of the human community across religion, across race, across gender, across class. That is the promise of bacon. That is the aim of Bacon Fest. I, I mentioned earlier that that Supreme Court case was nine zero. There aren't many things in this world that are nine zero anymore. Maybe Bacon Fest can truly be what strengthens the bonds and brings more nine zero in all of us.
2: That would be nice. Um, so basically, what I'm hearing is bacon equals world peace. Um, and if that's the if that's the outcome, I believe in the power of bacon. I believe in the spirituality of bacon. I believe in bacon just you know, making everybody smile and feeling good. And that is what, that's what food is for. I know there's a lot of people that don't eat meat and that's okay. As long as you enjoy what you're doing and we can sit down and have a great meal. You can have your kale salad, Mr. Karsh. I can have my bacon salad and we can come together as one.
3: Doug's not even here to defend himself. Come on, man. Nor does he need to be,
2: but I tell you what, who is here to defend themselves and their program and they really need no defense is Dave Ennett. He's been doing it a long time. I would uh, really, I'm really excited to to get a chance to talk to him. I'm excited for you to get a chance to listen to him because on October 23, 2021, the Wildcats are coming to Ann Arbor. Dave Ennett is going to be a part of that party and uh, I got a chance to sit down and talk to him a little bit about this year's iteration of the Northwestern Wildcats. Northwestern is going to be coming to town in late October to tell us a little bit about the Northwestern Wildcats. I've got Dave Ennett, who has been calling the Northwestern games for a few years. Um, Dave, thanks for joining us. And uh, how many years is this for you now, ca- calling Wildcat football?
1: John, I think this is 32 coming out.
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So
1: I've kind of seen it all during that time.
2: So let's, let's go. This is not a memory I love to relive, but it does bring us to, you know, to today's football and obviously everything at at Northwestern over, you know, not quite 32 years, but probably 25 or 26 has revolved around the name Pat Fitzgerald. You were calling games before Pat got on campus You called the Rose Bowl season that they had in 95, and you've seen his development from, you know, assistant coach, now head coach in the program. What, I don't know if you could put it in simple terms, but what has Pat Fitzgerald meant to Northwestern and Northwestern football?
1: Well, he's meant the world. And, you know, what's interesting to me, people, when when they learn of my association with Northwestern, it's almost the first name that comes to mind uh oh pat fitzgerald yeah what what's interesting about that is that you look at northwestern this school which has produced all these hollywood stars actors and actresses right Mm -hmm. and yet the the person who i think is really the face of the university is pat fitzgerald and again this is a, a university john as you know that at one time football wasn't exactly on the front page for them. So it's it's a really pretty dramatic, dramatic shift. And I think that what, what Pat has meant, uh, first of all, he had such a great career as a player. But the fact he was a local guy mm-hmm. from Chicago, from the south side, uh, who chose to come to Northwestern, play for Gary Barnett, ends up a two-time national defensive player of the year. And then embarks on a coaching career, which brings him back to Northwestern as an assistant coach. And then the school, after the sudden and tragic passing of Randy Walker in 2006, uh, the school decides they're going to go with a guy who's not been a head coach, not been a coordinator and put him in the head coaching job at the young uh, age of 31. And here we are now, uh, Fifteen years later, and I think it's it's safe to say that he's established himself as one of the best head coaches in college
2: football. Uh, I think you're you're very safe in making that statement. And you know what is it about him as an individual, or maybe more directly, him as a leader? Because you mentioned no no coordinator. Uh, experience no head coaching experience. Now he's the head coach of a Big Ten university, and it wasn't like it was back in the '80s, even when when he took over. Because as a player, he changed Northwestern football, and Northwestern football was no longer, you know, the one that you scheduled for homecoming. They were a respectable football team. What was it about him and his leadership that has really taken over Evanston?
1: Well, he would be the first to tell you that both his coach, Gary Barnett, and Gary's uh, successor, Randy Walker, laid the groundwork for for Fitz. But it was still uh, not on totally solid ground after uh, Randy's passing and and when Fitz took over. I mean, (laughs) there's some bumps along the way. But I think that the thing that stands out to me is, first of all, leadership. You're exactly right. Uh, continuity in his coaching staff, I think, has been a great help to him, and especially having a veteran defensive coordinator like Mike Hankowitz, who just retired after last season, after 51 years as a college coach, a uh, Michigan guy there. Um, you know, I think that had a lot to do with it. But I also think he had to tread kind of carefully in the early years as a young coach and I think he eventually he's he's got a philosophy he sticks to it he's organized uh, he's got a plan and he sticks to that and you know sometimes I think he's he's probably had some growing pains along the way but I think that as he's developed he's he's done a great job figuring it all out establishing a program with a solid foundation and I think now they're where they hoped they would be. And, you know, part of it, too, he's been aided by some some real uh, uh, terrific additions as far as facilities at Northwestern, including the, the Ryan Fieldhouse and the Walter Athletic Center, which, you know, some people talk about Ryan Fieldhouse, they, they call it the Fitz <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the Fitz Carlton. You know, it's kind of hard to argue. I mean, the place is a show place right on the shores of Lake Michigan. And I think when they bring recruits in there, they're wowed by it.
2: Well, and you don't get those facilities unless you have a program that you're committed to. And you don't commit to a program unless you have a leader like Pat Fitzgerald. So it kind of just, it it continues to snowball. Um, And getting to this year's team, we saw, was it three years ago, they're playing Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Two years ago, it was not what any of us would expect from a Pat Fitzgerald team. And then last year, again, they're playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship uh, game. What are your expectations of this year's team?
1: Well, I think if if you look back at that 2019 season, and you know, which was the the three and nine mm-hmm. campaign, and and you know, I think you and I have had this conversation before. I mean, there was a time when uh, I think people looked at that, and that was more kind of the norm as opposed to the the Big Ten championship game appearance uh, that and and people looked at that as kind of a fluke. But I don't think it's that way anymore. I mean, I, I really do think 2019 was a was a fluky season, and I think a lot of it had to do with quarterback play. You know, John, I mean, they had Clayton Thorson start fifty three games in a row, mm-hmm. a big Ten record at quarterback for them. And, you know, suddenly they had a, a transfer from Clemson, a former five-star kid, and Hunter Johnson, but he struggled. And and the veteran, the experienced guy behind him, uh, got hurt in the very first game and, and was out for the year. And so I think they really, they really struggled at the quarterback position. I think if they had gotten consistent play at quarterback in 2019, they would have been a much different... I'm not saying they would have been in the Big Ten championship game, but I don't think they would have fallen off the map the way they did that year. And I think that their quarterback situation is is much healthier going into 2021 than it was in 2019. Now, you hope the the health holds, right? I mean, that's always an issue for every team, but I think they're in better shape from that standpoint. I think this is a good team. I don't think it's a team that uh, is, is going to drop off all that much from what they accomplished last year. Will they get back to the Big Ten championship game? Uh, the, the Big Ten West looks tougher this year, but I think that come November, they're going to be in the thick of it.
2: Well, and and to, to reiterate your point, um, that 95 season, at that time, it felt like that was the outlier. And now you look at that 2019 season – and that three and nine season is the outlier because you know it's just the program that has been built um, by the coaches, and obviously you know Pat Fitzgerald is the one that is continuing this going. It's it's a program to be reckoned with year in year out. And you mentioned the quarterback position. Now let's we'll start on offense. the The game of football now is so focused on and and it's so driven by the quarterback. You have a transfer in Ryan Halinski, but you have Hunter Johnson, Andrew Marty, who are both seniors. You've got some young players. Whose job is this coming out of spring?
1: Well, it's right now it's up for grabs, <laughs> and you know everybody's kind of uh, trying to figure out who it's going to be, and that's not unlike it was going into uh, to twenty nineteen. Everybody sort of assumed it was going to be Hunter Johnson. Um, but Pat Fitzgerald was the last person to say that. And I, I it wouldn't surprise me if uh, when they get ready to tee it up on a Friday night against Michigan State in Evanston Labor Day weekend, if, if it comes down to uh, shortly before the game, Fitz announcing whether it's going to be Hunter or Holinski. Now, I think he might uh, make a, an announcement ahead of time because I think it's an advantage to the team, right, to know who that guy is going to be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would surprise anybody uh, if it's either Hunter Johnson or Ryan Holinsky. And I think that it's not out of the question that Andrew Marty uh, will be in the mix somehow because he's, among other things, he's he's a very mobile quarterback and and, and moves really well. Um, Hunter Johnson can move really well didn't, didn't throw the ball as well as I think people hope he would. And when he got a shot in 2019, but he had a great spring from all accounts, uh, Ryan Halinski, transfer from South Carolina. He's got some starting experience there and, uh, has a good arm. And, you know, I think uh, people are familiar with the the tragedy involving his brother. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, you know, for, for Ryan Helensky he's, He's got a lot of uh, inspiration that he gets uh, from from the the tragic loss of his brother at a young age. And, you know, so I think there's a lot going on there. I think that Hunter Johnson and Brian Holinsky are both going to have the opportunity in uh, in summer uh, to win the job. And I don't, I don't think Fitz is going to commit to either one publicly uh, very soon.
2: Well, three quarters of the at least receiving yards are no longer on the roster. So you're going to have some new wideouts. And I know that getting the run game involved, getting it going, and the physical side of it has always been a part of what Pat Fitzgerald is trying to get done. But what do you think the identity of this offense will be and what do you want it to be?
1: Well, I think that Fitz would always like it to be uh, the ability to, to pound the ball And uh, but to be multidimensional and to be to be multiple, and I think that, you know, a guy who emerged last year uh, was Cam Porter, a running back, and I think if if you ask Ohio State, uh, you know, they got they got a pretty heavy dose of Cam Mm -hmm. Porter in the Big Ten championship game, and I think they'll vouch for him. Uh, That was as a freshman last year. Uh, They have a couple other running backs who I think are good. Going to be in the mix. Uh, Claire transferred from Bowling Green, grad transfer. You know, they haven't really, uh, I mentioned the transfer quarterbacks, but they've not been a team that's played the transfer game a lot. But they got a bunch of grad transfers this year. One of them is, is Claire. Uh, they also have uh, Evan Hall, who, who saw a pretty good amount of playing time last year out of the backfield, uh, can catch the ball as well kind of a change of pace guy. And then I have a, a true freshman who enrolled in the spring, and Anthony Tyus, uh, who uh, I think Michigan fans might be somewhat aware of. But he's a guy who, I think, uh, got, a, got a lot of benefit from being in the uh, in spring ball. He's out of Portage, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think they're pretty deep as far as running back this year. You mentioned the wide receivers. They also got a grad transfer wide receiver. Stephon Robinson comes in from Kansas, um, and he went to Kansas from a, a junior college. And uh, so he's coming in. They hung kind of the Because they did, you're right, uh, a couple of guys, Ky- uh, Kyrick McGowan transferred to Georgia to be closer to home. Uh, Ramaj Keo Bowman, who was really, I think, a, a terrific uh, player and Kind of surprised some people last year at wide receiver, not within the program, but maybe externally. Uh, he decided to go ahead and and, uh, and prepare for the draft and, and uh, hook on in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean they've got some some shoes to fill in the, in the receiving core, but I think they feel like they got the bodies to do it.
2: And your offensive line coach, Kurt Anderson, uh, is a former teammate of mine, <laughs> a, a Wolverine. A low-key
1: guy, right, John? Really right. low-key, <laughs> laid back.
2: Yes, and, and so um, we are going to take full credit for your offensive line, um, but <laughs> that has been a tremendous strength for uh, the Northwestern offense for a number of years, and we, we've seen it in this year's draft, um, and I know that you've, I think it's what, three of the five starters are returning. What is the strength of this offensive line? And are there a few names that you could share with us of, uh, of guys that are going to be playing on Sunday here soon?
1: Well, I think one, uh, first and foremost, would be Peter Skaronski, their left tackle. Uh, you know, it's interesting because Rashawn Slater, uh, who was the left tackle mm-hmm. uh, in 2019, opted out last season to prepare for the NFL draft and ended up being taken in the first round. He was the second offensive lineman taken, I believe, and taken by the L.A. Chargers. And uh, Peter Skorowski stepped in as a true freshman last season, uh, earned some freshman All-America honors, and I think was uh, regarded by a lot of people as coming into this season maybe the best offensive lineman, maybe the best tackle, in the Big Ten, or certainly one of them, mm-hmm. and just a sophomore. So I think uh, any discussion about the offensive line is going to start with him because he was he was just terrific last year, very impressive young guy. And then you know they bring back to Sam Jurek, uh the center. Ethan Wiedeker played last year at the game position, uh, but they'll they'll move him now back to his more natural position at right tackle, and. uh you know, I think they feel pretty good about the guys who are going to be playing there. Another guy at uh, left guard, another Michigan guy, Josh Creeby, who's out of Niles, Michigan, uh, will start at the left guard spot this year. So uh, um, uh, I think Kurt's done a great job with them, uh, with this offensive line. I think it's a strength for them. Maybe in, in 2019, they were sort of uh, struggling a little bit at times. But I think that uh, they've certainly kind of regained their juice now, going into twenty twenty one.
2: They certainly have, and uh, you know, as we as we start talking about the defense, you mentioned it earlier. As we're talking to Dave Ennett, uh, you know, who calls the the Northwestern Wildcat games, um, you, you you can't talk about this defense without talking about Mike Hankowitz, um, and I know that he's retiring. Uh, And you're going to see a new defensive coordinator in Jim O'Neill. But let's just talk about Hank for just a minute. What is Consistency has been such a big part of Pat Fitzgerald and his coaching staff. And his players, I always thought one of the reasons that they've been so consistent is because the coaching staff has been consistent. And when players know what the coaches want and they get that relationship, they develop that relationship with the coaches – that really breeds success. It breeds that consistency. Now that Hank isn't there and you've got a new voice in O'Neal as the defensive coordinator, what changes or, or I guess, what are your expectations in this transition year?
1: Well, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, last year we saw a transition at offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Mike Bajakin coming in, and, you yeah, know, there were some changes, no question about it. Uh, but but it wasn't, I guess, a, a total change from what they had done because a lot of the personnel remained the same and the head coach <laughs> remained the same. And I think on defense in particular, Pat Fitzgerald is always going to have a lot of input into what they do defensively. And and I think you'll probably see some similarities to what they did under Mike Hankowitz. That said, Jim O'Neill is a guy with a really good resume, uh, comes to Northwestern after uh, several years coaching in the NFL, and I think that, you know, that, that's something that I think has his players fired up, too, the fact that a guy's coming in who's coached on Sundays, and he's got a lot of guys back on defense, and so I, I think you probably want to find things that work and, and stay with him, and things that worked in the past, and uh, I think that's probably Jim will probably tweak some things, but I think uh, we're going to see a lot of similarities to what we saw from Northwestern defensively in past years.
2: And certain schools develop, you know, certain you know characteristics and reputations. Obviously, Pat Fitzgerald was a linebacker there, and we've seen a number of of really good linebackers come through Northwestern. Most recently, it seems like it's it's kind of turning into DBU, and Brandon Joseph is that next. It seems to be that next player. What can you tell us about the back end of this Northwestern defense?
1: Well, you know, they lost uh, Greg Newsom. He was their other first-rounder was the first time Northwestern ever had two players taken in the first round, and uh, Newsom was terrific and he'll mm-hmm. do a great job of the Cleveland Browns. But he also missed some time early in the season last year, probably their most lopsided win, their opener against Maryland, and then he didn't play in the bowl game in which they handled Auburn pretty well. So that gave some other guys some opportunities as far as corner goes. And then, you know, Brandon Joseph is back there at, at safety, and, and it's, it's hard to find a guy who had a better freshman year than Brandon Joseph did last year. He was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year and, uh, and earned some freshman All-American consideration and uh, preseason All-American consideration this year, I think well-deserved. and. Uh, You know, I think everybody probably remembers the one-handed interception he made against Justin Fields at the Big Ten championship game in the end zone. And, I mean, he had a whole season like that. So I think they're really strong back there, John. I think it's an area of strength, uh, probably the likely corners. Uh, A.J. Hampton will probably step in and start a corner this year, and he's played quite a bit the last couple of years, and with uh, Newsom out, uh, played a lot, certainly in the bowl game. Uh, the other safety spot still kind of TBA there. Coco Azuma who has uh, played a lot as both a, a kick returner and actually played some running back two years ago, uh, could very well be starting at the other safety opposite Joseph. And uh, you know they've built some depth there, and I think that's been one of the goals and and one of the achievements. There was a time where Northwestern was really strong in the front seven, but had some, uh, had some holes in the secondary, but I think they've, they've more than compensated for that now.
2: And, and who is going to be the next linebacker that we're talking about? <laughs>
1: well, that's that's the, the big question now because they lose, uh, both Patty Fisher mm-hmm. and, um, Blake Gallagher. And of uh, course Fisher was really the heart and soul of this defense for the, for the past four years. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they feel like that's the position. And you mentioned maybe they've become DBU, but, you know, they've, they've turned out some linebackers. Yes, and they are. That's that's something that you knew that it was only going to be a matter of time with their head coach, that they're going to do that. And Patty was the latest. And Anthony Walker is already uh, off to a nice start in his NFL career after playing the middle linebacker spot for them. I think that uh, they have a couple of guys who are going to compete uh, for middle linebacker. College Jones, who's a junior, could be the guy who steps in replacing Patty. Uh, Bryce Gallagher, Blake's younger brother, also there. He's in the mix and could be in that situation. Uh, Peter McIntyre, a guy who's played a lot the last few years, could be the uh, will linebacker replacing Gallagher. And then uh, Chris Bergen's back at the sand linebacker spot. He's one of the guys mm-hmm. who decided to take advantage of the additional year. He was part of that. They call themselves the Irish Law Firm. And uh, <laughs> so Chris Bergen is going to come back and play another year. And, you know, I think that's really important because not only is he a good player, but I think he's a really heady guy. And I think having some experience there uh, in the linebacking core, a guy who's been through it alongside Patty and alongside uh, Blake Gallagher. I think that should really help some of those younger guys.
2: And not everybody that opted out opted out to prepare for the draft. Uh, Sam Dup Miller is, is going to be back uh, playing for the Wildcats this fall. Um, he's probably the headliner up front, but uh, I'm wondering if there's anybody else that you've got your eye on in that front four that can do some damage.
1: Well, Sam Du Miller, you know, he played uh, really came on. Uh, burst onto the scene as a freshman, uh, but uh, yeah, he opted out last year. Now he's back. He'll man one end for them. I think the guy maybe to keep an eye on uh, is is Atatamoa who's going into his junior year. Uh, played quite a bit two years ago as a a true freshman. Uh, he's a guy with some speed on the edge, and you know that's an area where I think that. Uh, he can really help them. They've, they've lost the last couple of years. Joe Gaziano doing one of them. They're all time sack leader. Uh, But, but I think that, uh, is a guy they're very high on. Uh, some other guys, they have a grad transfer at defensive end, Jeffrey Pooler, who's uh, transferred in from West Virginia. So again, another, another transfer, he figures to be in the mix there. And, uh, that that's been another area of strength for them the last few years, John. And you know, I think that uh, they're they're in pretty good shape. Joe Speedback, a, a former walk-on, uh, moved into a starting spot uh, a, a defensive tackle spot last year, and I think that uh, he's going to continue to be in the mix there in the middle of that defense. So I think that uh, they feel pretty good about the entire defensive unit. But I think that they're. Their front line should be good again.
2: Well, Dave, I appreciate your uh, your time and giving us a, a breakdown of the Northwestern Wildcats. Dave Ennett is the play-by-play voice of the Northwestern Wildcats. And before I let you go, we've seen so many different iterations of the schedule. From you know eleven games, now it's twelve games, and. You know, it's typically you start with three non-conference, but you guys start with a Big Ten game, September four, Michigan State. Um, What's it like, um, or what are your thoughts on starting with a conference opponent?
1: Well, I've I liked it for this reason. uh, Under Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern has done really really well in openers I and mean, I think uh, I think Fitz has only lost one or two opener maybe two openers in his career now he's had some big Ten openers last year Maryland uh, in a night game at home and uh, I think it was 42 to three was the final and uh, in the 20 let's see 2018 the season they went to the Big Ten championship game uh, the first time, They opened with a road game at Purdue on a Thursday night, So, and they won that game. So I think they're they're accustomed now to starting with a conference game. I think they do it again next year, as a matter of fact. They're going to open with a Friday night game uh, against Michigan State. And as you may remember, John, I think they're looking at this with maybe a little payback in mind because it was the Spartans who handed them their only – regular season lost last year in a game in east lansing late in the season and if not for that um you know they could have really enhanced their position as far as the uh, the playoff rankings uh going into the uh, the big 10 championship game and of course they ended up they weren't able to win that game but i think this is a big game for them Uh, they'll follow that up with three straight non-conference games before a night game at nebraska so i think this is uh It's a good way for them to open the season because he will have their full attention.
2: Well, as a tribute to your head coach, and I believe all Wolverine fans, when you guys open up against Michigan State, will be saying the same thing. Go Cats. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Dave, I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, October 23 in Ann Arbor.
1: It'd be good to be back in the big house. It's been a while.
2: All right, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, I want to say thanks to Dave for stopping by. He's been doing it for a long time, and it's great to get his perspective um, on on what the, the Wildcats have been and what they are now. Uh, if you missed anything, make sure you go back on MGo Blue Podcast. You can find everything in the schedule up to this point, as well as defend the block. This week, it was uh, soon-to-be guard, uh, sophomore guard, Zeb Jackson, and new Michigan men's basketball athletic trainer, Chris Williams, with, along with Brian Bush. Make sure you stay tuned in to MGo Blue Podcast. And don't forget that Michigan Athletics mobile app will be coming soon. For all your Michigan football information, stay tuned right here on in the trenches thanks for listening to this week's edition of in the trenches with john Jansen, part of our michigan athletics podcast network m go blue podcasts the preceding is a learfield img college presentation of the michigan sports network